1: Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, June 30th, 2022. Coming up this hour...
2: U.S. stocks are set to wrap up their worst first half since 1970.
1: China's economy shows signs of improvement.
2: The January 6th committee issues a subpoena to former President Trump's
1: White House counsel. And airlines under pressure from lawmakers as the holiday weekend approaches.
3: Mayor Adams reacts to another deadly shooting in New York. Plus, it's a changing of the guard today at the U.S. Supreme Court. I'm Michael Barr. More ahead.
4: And I'm Scott Sadenberg. The Yankees coming off a win. Get ready for a Houston showdown. Plus an update on Wimbledon. I'll have that and more coming up in sports. That's all
5: straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak. On Bloomberg 1130 New York, Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 1061 Boston, Bloomberg 960 San Francisco, Sirius XM 119, and around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app.
1: Good morning, I'm Karen Moscow.
2: I'm Nathan Hager. Bloomberg Daybreak brought to you by Informatica. In the cloud, your data has the power to do the extraordinary Manage data across any location in the cloud for accurate and actionable insights. More at informatica.com.
1: And U.S. futures are lower this morning. 501 on Wall Street. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 44 points. Dow futures down 281. NASDAQ futures dropping down 165. That's down 1.4%. And the 10-year Treasury, up 7.30 seconds, yield 3.06%. Nathan.
2: Well, Karen, this drop in futures comes as we prepare for the final trading day of the first half, and it has been a rough one for equity investors. The S&P 500 on course for its worst first half since 1970. The index is down almost 20% on the year. Thomas Kennedy is chief investment strategist for global wealth management at J.P. Morgan Securities. The market is trying to get the handoff done between worries about inflation to worries about growth. Um, these are challenges that are presented by the Fed, but really until we can do that handoff, I think it'll be very hard for risk-free assets to, to price with less volatility. J.P. Morgan Securities Chief Investment Strategist Thomas Kennedy says in order for investors to be more confident, they need to see inflation go down.
1: Well, we're seeing the selling spread overseas this morning, Nathan. We get the very latest live with the Bloomberg's Ewan Potts in London. Good morning, Ewan.
6: Good morning, Karen and Nathan. A bad end to a terrible quarter. A sea of red on traders Bloomberg screens this morning. We're two hours into the European trading day and the stock's 100 currently off 1.5%. That extends its year-to-date drop to almost 17% on the final day of the first half of the year. Every single sector lower today with carmakers, retail and tech stocks getting the worst of it.
2: Live in London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. Yeah, Ewan, the story's not much better in Asia either. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index, finished its fourth consecutive quarter in the red despite positive economic data out of china the country's factory activity expanded in june and bloomberg daybreak asia anchor brian curtis has more from hong kong The official PMI rose to expansion mode with a 50.2 reading, but short of the 50.5 estimate. That said, the non-manufacturing gauge blew away estimates, coming in at 54.7, well above the forecast of 50.5. The economy is gradually recovering from COVID restrictions. Still, the recovery is fragile as President Xi sticks to his COVID zero strategy. In Hong Kong, Brian Curtis, Bloomberg Daybreak.
1: All right. Thanks, Brian. Well, oil is heading for its first monthly decline since November as OPEC ministers prepare to gather to discuss supply policy. Escalating fears over an economic slowdown have dented oil this month as interest rates rise. Checking prices now, non-next crude oil is little changed at $109.74 a barrel. Brent is down four tenths percent at $115.81.
2: Well, despite this month's decline, Karen, the recent surge in oil has elevated inflation around the world. Fed chair Jay Powell says controlling prices remain his priority.
7: Our focus is very intensely on setting policy in order to get inflation down to two percent. That's what we're working on. That's our. We understand that that's our primary focus right now.
2: Fed Chair Jay Powell made those comments to Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua in a panel discussion at the ECB Forum in Portugal.
1: Well, Nathan, this is the final day of the NATO summit in Spain. At the gathering, allies have labeled Russia the most significant and direct threat to NATO security. Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo has more from Madrid.
8: They say NATO allies believe that Russia is seeking to reestablish sphere of influence and control through coercion, subversion, aggression, and annexation. That is for Russia. Now, on top of this, there's a line on China, which is not as aggressive, is not as
1: explicit, but it does say that China is a country that could be a challenge to future security. And Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo says NATO also expressed disappointment in China for not condemning the war in Ukraine.
2: Well, back in Washington, Karen, the House investigation into the attack at the U.S. Capitol is ramping up. As Bloomberg's Ed Baxter reports, the January 6th committee has issued another subpoena, this time to former White House counsel Pat Cipollone. This comes after the testimony of Mark Meadows' aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, that Cipollone
5: Push back on Donald Trump's efforts to go to the Capitol. Vice Chair Liz Cheney says the committee has evidence that Mr. Cipollone repeatedly raised legal and other concerns about Trump activities. She says while the select committee appreciates Mr. Cipollone's earlier informal engagement, the committee needs to hear from him on the record, as other former White House counsels have done and other congressional investigations. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak.
1: All right, Ed, thank you. We're heading into a busy travel weekend for the Fourth of July holiday, and now the Transportation Department is under new pressure to punish airlines for flight disruptions. Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet brings us the details.
6: Post-COVID demand and a labor shortage are straining travel schedules. U.S. air carriers have struggled to manage demand, with 3.5% of flights canceled and nearly 20% delayed during the first four months of the year. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders wants fines of up to $55,000, while Airlines for America, which represents major carriers, says its members are doing, quote, everything within their power to ensure reliable flights. In New York, Charlie
2: Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thanks. We're seeing even more travel disruptions overseas this week. London's Heathrow Airport and the Charles de Gaulle in Paris are both reducing flights. Heathrow asked airlines to cut 30 flights from their schedules this morning on concern peak passenger numbers will exceed the level it can safely handle. And in France, the Civil Aviation Authority there's ordered a 17% reduction in flights out of Paris because firefighters are on strike. S&P futures are down 43 points. That's a drop of 1.1% ahead of the market open. Dow futures down 277 points, and NASDAQ futures are lower by 168. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and the check of sports. This is Bloomberg. It's 507 on Wall Street, 71 degrees in Central Park, and already seeing problems on the roads. Northbound FDR Drive, there's a crash near 111th Street. Got a lane taken out have more coming up in traffic shortly. First, Michael Barr has more on what else is going on in New York and around the world. Good morning,
3: Michael. Good morning, Nathan. Authorities in New York City are looking for a gunman who murdered a 20-year-old woman pushing a baby stroller last evening on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. It happened on Lexington Avenue and 95th Street. The suspect is described as a male dressed in a hoodie, sweatpants, and a baseball cap. All in black. Mayor Eric Adams says his administration is working hard to combat gun violence, but the city needs help.
8: We're going to find this person that's guilty of this horrific crime.
3: We're going to find him and bring him to justice. We need the justice
5: system to make sure this innocent person received that justice. That we're for.
3: Mayor Adams says the victim was shot by the suspect in the head at point-blank range. Today is the last day the U.S. Supreme Court issues opinions. The court will decide how much authority the EPA has to regulate emissions from power plants. Another opinion will impact immigration. Also today, Justice Stephen Breyer retires and will formally pass the torch to Ketanji Brown Jackson, becoming the first black woman on the high court. New Jersey lawmakers have passed a record $50.6 billion budget, sending it to Governor Phil Murphy's desk. The budget is 9% bigger than last year's and comes after better-than-expected tax returns and bigger state coffers. The death toll from the deadliest smuggling case in U.S. history rose to 53. The victims were found Monday in the back of a sweltering truck in San Antonio. Four men faced charges. R&B star R. Kelly was sentenced to 30 years in prison. The 55-year-old singer was convicted of racketeering and sex trafficking last year. Lizette Martinez, an R. Kelly accuser and author of the book Jane Doe Number 9, described how she finally got away.
9: I looked in the mirror, and I didn't recognize
1: myself, and I didn't like myself anymore. And I knew that if I didn't get out, either he was going to kill me or I was going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. Like It got that dark.
3: Lizette Martinez spoke to ABC. Israel's parliament voted today to dissolve itself and send the country to the polls in November for the fifth time in less than four years. Yar Lapid, Israel's foreign minister, will become the country's caretaker prime minister. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg QuickTank, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg Nathan.
2: Okay, Michael, thank you. And we're coming up now to 510 on Wall Street. That's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's Scott
4: Seidenberg. Thanks, Nathan. The Yankees using the long ball to help bail out Jameson Tyone yesterday and beat the A's 5-3. Tyone allowed three runs in the top of the first inning, but Aaron Judge quickly got two back with a homer in the bottom of the frame, and then Giancarlo Stanton put the Yankees on top with a three-run blast in the third inning. The Yankees are 25-1 when Judge and Stanton homer in the same game, including 9-0 this season. With the win, the Bombers improved their records to 56-20, and matching the 98 team and the 2001 Mariners for the best 76-game start. The Yankees will play one game in Houston tonight before heading to Cleveland for a weekend series. Luis Severino will get the start. The Mets, meanwhile, lost a pitcher's duel to the Astros 2-0 yesterday. Justin Verlander went eight shutout innings, allowing just two hits. And Tywan Walker matched him, going seven and a third shutout innings, allowing just four hits. Jason Castro's two-run homer off of Drew Smith in the top of the ninth was the difference. The Mets are off tonight. They host the Rangers tomorrow night. At Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic cruised in straight sets. Three-seed Casper Ruud was upset by Ugo Umber. And American John Isner defeated two-time champion Andy Murray. The second round exit, the earliest exit for Murray at the All-England Club. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. Nathan?
2: Scott, thank you. Getting ready to close the books on the worst first half for U.S. stocks since 1970. Futures... Point two more losses right now. S&P futures are down 51 points, a drop of one point three percent. Dow futures down three hundred twenty six. That's a one percent loss. And Nasdaq futures leading the declines right now, down one hundred ninety eight points for a drop of one point seven percent. Ten year treasury yield three point zero five percent. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Temperatures are going up. We'll get near 90 today. Low 90s tomorrow. Occasional showers and storms for Saturday with a high then near 85 degrees. Right now, 71 in Central Park.
5: Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
1: And I'm Karen Moscow, and European stocks are falling with U.S. stock index futures after central bankers issued warnings on inflation and fueled concern that aggressive policy will end in recession. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg, S&P Futures. Down 57 points, Dow futures down 360, and Nasdaq futures down 221, or about 1.9%. The DAX in Germany is down 2.5%. The 10-year Treasury up 11.30 seconds, yield 3.04%. The yield on the two-year, 2.98%. NYMEX crude oil is up about 2 tenths percent, or 19 cents, at $109.96 a barrel. COMEX gold down a tenth of a percent, or $2.10 at 1815.40 an ounce. The euro, 1.0435. Four against the dollar. British pound 1.2134 and the yen 136.16. Looking at Bitcoin, it's down almost 6% at $19,019. And today we get reports on personal income and spending at 8.30 Wall Street time, along with a weekly report on initial jobless claims and Walgreens Boots Alliance among companies scheduled to report earnings today. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the world. Michael, good morning.
3: Good morning, Karen. The House Committee investigating last year's assault on the U.S. Capitol says it had subpoenaed former White House Counsel Pat Cipollone to appear on July 6th for a closed-door deposition. Cipollone has emerged in recent weeks as a subject of interest by committee members who say he was at the center of a number of events related to the attack on January 6th. Israel's parliament has voted to dissolve itself, sending the country to the polls for the fifth time in less than four years. In baseball, the Yankees beat the A's 5-3. The Mets lost along with the Nationals, Orioles, and Giants. The Red Sox won. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg.
2: Nathan. Okay, Michael, thanks. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak as we get ready to close the books on the first half of twenty. We want to get a little bit more now on the latest economic data out of China since what's happening in the world's second biggest economy weighs so heavily into the global recovery. Enda Curran is with us this morning, chief Asia economics correspondent for Bloomberg News. Enda, good morning. We got manufacturing and services activity now, both showing signs of expansion in China. How big a deal is this uh, given uh, all the factory lockdowns we've seen in big cities in China, particularly on the uh, manufacturing side of the PMI data?
10: So the official PMI data rose over that 50 mark, so it's back in positive territory. That would stand to reason, Nathan, like you said, because the factories are reopening, things are getting going again. The more interesting story was the non-manufacturing side of things, the services stage there hit its highest in more than a year. That was mostly down to a recovery in logistics, so um, trucks and transportation it has improved as, as the restrictions eased up over the last few weeks. Um, But, you know, on the services side, there's still plenty of weakness, too. We know that, especially in the catering and eating outside of it. So the headline is PMI is back in positive territory. That does speak to the idea that China's economy has hit a bottom and that it is recovering. But nobody's looking at these numbers today and pointing at a V-shaped recovery uh, for China nation.
2: Now, what does this tell you about how uh, services, at least at this point, is recovering, uh, uh, at least based on the index data, more quickly than the manufacturing side? You tend to think of China being much more of a manufacturing powerhouse than a consumer-driven economy.
10: Yeah, I think logistics really was, has kind of skewed the services side of this sort of non-manufacturing side. There is a pickup, of course, in catering. There is a pickup in entertainment. There is a pickup in railway and air transportation. But it's that transportation side of it that's kind of skewing the overall services side of things. I, You know, the, the unemployment, youth unemployment in China is at a record high. And we know that there's still... Pretty much a subdued mood among consumers. We see that in the monthly retail sales data. They're not showing, exhibiting any kind of uh, animal spirits just yet. So I think, that, as I say, all of these numbers speak to this idea of a stabilizing economy, finding its feet. In fact, the authority said that these numbers show that the economy has bottomed up now. But I think the point is, we're not seeing any runaway rebound on on the services side of things. And in fact, even manufacturing, Nathan, I would say to you, there are warning signs there. Beyond China's COVID-0 policies, there are warnings that global demand is weakening. So eventually that's going to hit the Chinese manufacturers and that's another headwind coming their way.
2: Yeah, uh, interesting point to make there. I got to wonder whether uh, we're seeing a, something of a sign of recovery just from the fact that Chinese President Xi Jinping is leaving the mainland, is away from the mainland pretty much for the first time since the pandemic began. He's in Hong Kong this morning.
10: Yeah, well, he hasn't gone very far, I guess, from the mainland, I'm what he said. Yeah, I suppose, he yeah. Arrived, he came here this afternoon. He got, off, he got off his high-speed train, and in brief remarks, he was – basically talking of Hong Kong. He spoke about how it's been reborn from the ashes. It's showing vigor and vitality. He spoke about how his heart is always with the Hong Kong compatriots. And he talked up the city's one country, two systems idea. This is meant to be the idea that Hong Kong is this pocket of China that has some autonomy from Beijing. But, of course, that's obviously come under a lot of stress in recent years with the political crackdown and the big crackdown on civil liberties. Nonetheless, he arrived to the usual fanfare, School children waving flags, there was a lion dance. He's off around town now to various functions. He is due to speak again tomorrow at the swearing in of Hong Kong's new chief executive, essentially like a mayor. So we might get more substantive comments from him there and just what he does what role he do does see for Hong Kong going forward.
2: And of course, this is coming to mark the 25th anniversary since the handover of Hong Kong from the U.K., with Xi now back in Hong Kong. And uh, what does this visit say about mainland China's grip on the city? Where is the pro-democracy movement at this point?
10: They're, they're not on the street, uh, Nathan. That's self-evident, and indeed many of them are in jail. But there's no doubt that it's symbolically important when we have the president of China visiting Hong Kong Uh, and clearly he's down here to send a message to the rest of the world and the message from their perspective will clearly be that Hong Kong is a major international financial and business centre in in Asia and has the full backing of the Communist Party. Now, that's a global message that will be met with a lot of scepticism for two reasons. One, of course, is the ongoing Mobility difficulties here, the, the quarantine that's enforced upon arrival is obviously hammering the international business out of Hong Kong. And of course, on the ground, the crushing of civil liberties, civil liberty, the, the crackdown on the pro democracy movement, all of that has really changed and fired the mood towards Hong Kong. So I think even though he will obviously try to send a booster's, boosters message for Hong Kong, it will probably be met by a fair degree of skepticism both locally and globally.
2: Thank you, and a good having you on with us from Hong Kong this morning and the current chief Asia economics correspondent for Bloomberg News. Right now, S&P futures are down 56 points, a drop of 1.5%. Dow futures down 364. NASDAQ futures down 224 points, a decline of 1.9%. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather, sunny and warm today with a high near 90 degrees. It's going to be hotter, more humid tomorrow starting july off in the low 90s showers and thunderstorms possible saturday right now 70 in central park It's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager.
1: And I'm Karen Moscow. We are just about four hours away from the opening of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Well, U.S. futures are falling as we enter the final trading day of a rough first half. The S&P 500 is on course for its worst first half since 1970. Victoria Green, chief investment officer at G-Squared Private Wealth, says the biggest economic risk now is no longer inflation.
8: I think recession's a bigger risk by now because inflation is priced in now, right? We're all aware we're in a high inflationary environment. People are adjusting their budget, but recession's what's gonna turn this market over because people are starting to change their buying habits.
1: Victoria Green at G Squared Private Health who says the Fed's as sole focus remains inflation even if it negatively impacts markets
2: yeah well oil's heading for its first monthly decline since november karen as uh, opec ministers gathered to discuss supply policy escalating fears over an economic slowdown have dented crude this month checking prices now they're actually up a bit on this session NYMEX crude's up a tenth percent or 16 cents at 109 dollars 97 cents a barrel brent's higher by a tenth percent at 116 dollars 44 cents
1: well, Nathan, despite this month's decline, the surge in oil has elevated inflation around the world. Fentier J. Powell says it remains a top priority for the central bank and that Russia's war in Ukraine has made it even harder to bring oil prices down and guide the economy to a soft landing.
7: The war in Ukraine, which has, you know, added tremendously to infl- inflationary pressures around food and energy commodities and, and agricultural chemicals and industrial chemicals and things like that. So it's gotten harder. The pathways have gotten narrower.
1: And Fed Chair Jay Powell made the comments to Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix in a panel discussion at the ECB Forum in Portugal.
2: Staying overseas, Karen, today marks the final day of the NATO summit in Spain. Allies have labeled Russia the most significant and direct threat to NATO security. Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo has more from Madrid.
8: For NATO, it is back to combat mode, a reality check, as I say. And, of course, that will also mean from now on taking that 2% defense spending is going to be a big priority for Europeans in particular. They don't want to take security for granted anymore.
2: Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo says Russia wasn't the sole focus. NATO says China also presents security concerns.
1: And back in Washington, Nathan, the House investigation into the attack at the U.S. Capitol is ramping up. The January 6th committee has issued a subpoena to former White House counsel, Pat Cipollone. It comes following testimony from Cassidy Hutchinson, an aide to former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. And straight ahead, we have your local headlines, plus a check of sports. And this is Bloomberg.
2: Thank you, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 70 degrees in Central Park. We've got an accident on the westbound Cross Bronx Expressway at the uh, Hamilton Bridge. Details coming up in traffic. First, Michael Barr with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Michael? Nathan, thank you very much. The
3: NYPD says a 20-year-old woman was fatally shot last night while she pushed her infant daughter in a stroller on Manhattan's Upper East Side. It happened on Lexington Avenue and 95th Street. NYPD Commissioner Keechan Sewell says the suspect is described as a male dressed in a hoodie, sweatpants, and baseball cap, all in black.
2: Our preliminary investigation revealed the 20-year-old victim was pushing an approximately three-month-old in a baby stroller on East 95th Street when an unknown person approached her and fired a single shot into her head from a very close range.
3: Mayor Eric Adams said during a news conference at the site of the shooting that more guns in our city means more lives lost.
8: 3,300 guns
3: removed off our streets. That we're not allowed to hurt innocent people. We're going to continue to move forward. But we do need help from Washington, from the state, from our criminal justice system. Mayor Adams says the three-month-old baby was not hurt. It's a changing of the guard at the Supreme Court as it wraps up a shocking term marked by the decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. After 28 years, Justice Stephen Breyer will formally pass the torch to Ketanji Brown Jackson. She will officially become the first black woman on the United States Supreme Court. She will also be the fourth woman on the Supreme Court heading into the fall term. The death toll from one of the deadliest human smuggling operations in U.S. history climbed to 53 with more than a dozen people injured in San Antonio. The migrants were found in a sweltering tractor trailer. Four men have been charged. A big drug bust in the Bronx was announced yesterday. A multi-agency strike team raided an apartment in the Mount Hope neighborhood. Law enforcement confiscated over 250 pounds of narcotics, including heroin, cocaine, fentanyl, and crystal meth worth about $24 million on the street. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, Michael, thanks. It's
2: now 535
4: on Wall Street. That's time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, Scott Seidenberg. Good morning, Nathan, Giancarlo Stanton, and Aaron Judge, both homering as the Bombers finished off a sweep of the A's 5-3. The Yankees 25-1 and when Judge and Stanton homer in the same game, including 9-0 this season. Here was Aaron Judge.
5: You know, we know what's ahead of us. You know, we know it's halfway through the year now and um, still a long way to go. But, you know, everyone's important. You know, there's been so many years. We look back and, you know, we're getting down to the end of September and it's like we're fighting and clawing. We're half a game out, half a game up. And I think guys are starting to realize the importance of, hey, you know, even these, you know, we won the series.
4: But this third game, it it means a lot down the road. The Yankees will play one game in Houston tonight before heading to Cleveland for a weekend series. Luis Severino will get the start. The Mets, meanwhile, lost a pitcher's duel to the Astros 2-0 yesterday. Justin Verlander went eight shutout innings, allowing just two hits. And Taiwan Walker matched him, going seven and a third shutout innings, allowing just four hits. Jason Castro's two-run homer off of Drew Smith in the top of the ninth was the difference. The Mets are off tonight. They host the Rangers tomorrow night. At Wimbledon, Novak Djokovic cruised in straight sets. Three-seed Casper Rude was upset by Ugo Umber. And American John Isner defeated two-time champion Andy Murray. The second-round exit, the earliest exit for Murray at the All-England Club. I'm Scott Seidenberg with Bloomberg Sports. Nathan?
2: Thank you, Scott. It's just about 537 on Wall Street. Time now for the Tri-State Business Report. With that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Ed Corey.
7: Union negotiators and casino management are trying to reach new contracts to avoid a strike during one of Atlantic City's busiest weekends. Local 54 of the Unite Here unions set a deadline of 12.01 a.m. Friday to reach a new agreement with the Borgata, Caesars, Harrahs, and Tropicana. The Hard Rock faces a similar deadline early Sunday. New Jersey's lowest-earning families could receive up to $500 a year for each child Under the age of six, under a new tax credit program passed by state lawmakers on Wednesday, the proposal was among several tax measures approved by state lawmakers in Trenton. New York State is stepping up oversight of the market for non-fungible tokens. The superintendent of the Department of Financial Services plans to issue new guidance on how its rules apply to those NFTs. The regulator recently released guidelines on stable coins and blockchain analytics. That's your Bloomberg
2: Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. It's 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world.
5: I'm Steve Potusk, and on
2: 1010
3: Wins in New York, we're talking about Spirit Airlines again delaying a shareholder vote on competing bids from JetBlue and Frontier.
1: I'm Joan Doniger telling KRLD listeners in Dallas... Waymo is opening a new self-driving trucking hub in the area.
0: I'm Gina Servetti, and for WCCO in Minneapolis, I'm reporting that the city is among the largest metro areas in the country where home ownership is still considered affordable.
1: I'm Caroline Hepburn, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We've been speaking to the CIO of Vanguard, Greg Davis, about inflation and recession risks.
7: I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting Stallant,
2: who says the auto industry History is doomed unless electric vehicles get less expensive. And those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on this morning around the world. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an
5: editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg
6: Editorial Board. In broad outline, the events of January 6, 2021 have been clear for some time, yet the details still have the power to shock. So it was Tuesday when a White House aide delivered explosive testimony before the House Committee investigating the riot. Whether Trump broke the law will be a matter for the Justice Department, but for now, it's worth remembering those who acted with propriety in the months after the 2020 election, including on the day of the riot. At every level, from local lawmakers to federal judges, there were people in consequential positions who did the right thing. Their commitment to democracy ensured that the system mostly held up in the end. That's a low bar, to be sure. But it's nonetheless a fitting rejoinder to the most lawless and reckless presidency in memory. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Editorial Board. For more Bloomberg opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com opinion or O-P-I-N-G-O on the Bloomberg Terminal.
2: This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPIN Go. Futures moving lower on this Thursday morning. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather. Sunny and warm today with a high in the upper 80s. It'll be hotter and more humid tomorrow. Low 90s. You can see occasional showers and storms Saturday with a high near 85. Right now, 70 in Central Park.
5: Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
1: I'm Karen Moscow. European stocks falling along with U.S. stock index futures after central bankers issued warnings on inflation and fueled concern that aggressive policy will end in recession. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures down 55 points this morning. Dow futures down 352. NASDAQ futures down 215, or 1.8%. The DAX in Germany is down 2.4%. The CAC in Paris down 2.3%. And the FTSE 100 down 1.8%. Ten-year Treasury up 10.30 seconds, yield 3.05%. The yield on the two-year, 2.99%. NYMEX crude oil is down 3 tenths percent, or 35 cents, at $109.41 a barrel. COMEX Gold, at quarter percent or five dollars at eighteen twelve sixty an ounce. The euro one point zero four three one against the dollar. British pound one point two one three zero, and the yen at one thirty six point three one. And looking at Bitcoin, it's down more than it's a down about five and a half percent. It's at nineteen thousand ninety dollars today. We do get reports on personal income and spending. They're out at eight thirty Wall Street time, along with the weekly report on initial jobless claims and Walgreens boots alliance among companies scheduled to report earnings today. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash now. Here's Michael Barr with more on what's going on around the
3: world. Michael. Karen, thank you very much. Today is Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer's last day and Ketanji Brown Jackson's first. She will be sworn in as the first black woman to sit on the nation's high court. Meanwhile, the Supreme Court will make its final opinions on two cases involving the environment and immigration. Chinese leader Xi Jinping was welcomed by a crowd of people waving flags in Hong Kong today. She is there for the 25th anniversary of Britain's handover of the port city. Hong Kong has undergone two years of stricter communist control by Beijing. In baseball, the Yankees beat the A's 5-3. The Mets lost along with the Nationals, Orioles, and Giants. The Red Sox won. Global News, 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take, powered by more than 2,700
2: journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Michael Barnes. This is
3: Bloomberg Nathan.
2: Thank you, Michael. It is 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. We want to get to the latest now on the NATO Summit in Madrid, now into its final day. Bloomberg's Maria Tadeo is part of our team of correspondents covering the gathering in her hometown of Madrid and joins us live. Maria, good morning. Uh, As the NATO ministers gather, we are getting this late word from Russia that it's pulling some of its troops from a strategic island in the Black Sea, the Snake Island. How is that factoring into the discussions that we're hearing from NATO where we've seen a pretty strong unity against Russia?
8: Listen, I'd be very, very careful to assume that this is Russia acting in goodwill, because if you think back in time, the last time Russia says was pulling back troops. It was the Ukrainian capital. It was Kiev. And the reason why that happened is not Goodwill or, or the fact that Russians wanted to de-escalate because they've done the opposite. It was the fierce resistance they encountered by the Ukrainian army, which is a professionally trained army now for eight years, and they can put up a fight. If the Russians say now they're pulling away uh, some troops are from the Black Sea to help uh, with the grain transportation to alleviate some of the concerns on the agriculture front, it does seem that this could be a perfect excuse to pull away from what is now a difficult fight in the Black Sea for the Russian army. So at times, I would be very careful uh, to take Russia at safe value. What they say and what they do, as you know, at times is a very serious contradiction.
2: And it's interesting as well to see this move from Russia, Maria, when we've uh, seen from NATO this massive expansion of the rapid response force to 300,000 troops and now Sweden and Finland being added to the fold for the alliance. How is this being viewed in terms of per- placing NATO against the Russian threat?
8: Susan, I think that NATO repeats and they insist, we're not, not going to attack anyone. NATO by definition is a defensive military alliance, but we have to be ready to be attacked. I think, uh, really, this is something that uh, for countries perhaps that are far away from the action in Ukraine, it's almost hard to understand that there's an actual war going on in continental Europe. But this is on a two-hour flight uh, from where we are, and, and, and you're looking at a situation in which a country, Russia, by force, is trying to rerun the lines from from another sovereign nation. So NATO says we have to be prepared to combat this. Uh, this is a world that's becoming more competitive, more dangerous. Ga- Dangerous, and therefore we are not going to attack anyone. But we have to be ready to put into effect troops on the ground that could defend our NATO territory if there was to be a spill over, an escalation into NATO territory.
2: And we've gotten some reaction from Russian President Putin to Sweden and Finland joining NATO. He's saying that they're welcome to join. What's your read on that, Maria?
8: Listen, to me, it is incredible that Vladimir Putin goes yesterday uh, on tape. He does an interview, and he says we're not too concerned with Finland and Sweden joining. That's two powerful countries with the, also a big army in the Nordics. And he says it's not a big deal for him. If you go back in time... Five months ago, the reason why he said this war was starting in Ukraine is because he was upset. He was angry about NATO expansion. Now, when it comes to Sweden and Finland, it's not a problem. What this tells you is, in some ways, that Ukraine is personal for him. This is about something that goes beyond a military aspect. This is Russia believing that Ukraine is One people, the the Russian people, the Ukrainian people are one. And it's almost this idea of back to the USSR. Ukraine cannot be separated from Russia. The other thing is it also tells you the limitations of the Russian army. They're really struggling to deal with uh, Ukraine, which is a big country in size, also a big population. But to say that they could potentially face and, and deal with two more countries and fight on three fronts, I think at this point that is very unrealistic, considering how difficult this is for Russia at this stage.
2: Only 30 seconds left here, Maria. What are we watching for on this final day of the summit?
8: Well, it's President Biden essentially. That's that's what it comes down to. This is, of course, the biggest country in the NATO alliance, is the one that spends the most, is seen as the biggest military power in the world. It'll be interesting to see what he says on China and Russia, by the way.
2: Yeah, certainly will be. Maria Tadeo Bloomberg corresponded with us this morning from Madrid on this final day of the NATO summit. Maria, thank you. Karen.
1: All right, Nathan, thank you. It is 5.53 on Wall Street. Time for a legal story we're watching this morning. There's a battle over redistricting playing out across the country. And on Tuesday, the Supreme Court used the shadow docket to reinstate a Republican-drawn congressional map in Louisiana that a federal judge said dilutes the power of black voters, just as the court had done in a similar case involving an Alabama map in February. There was no explanation for the court's decision, which was down ideological lines, 6 to 3. For more Bloomberg's student- June I also speak to Derek Muller, a professor at Iowa Law School.
9: Louisiana has six members of Congress, but only one of the districts is majority black, even though blacks make up one-third of the state's voters. Isn't it fairly obvious that this Republican-drawn map dilutes the votes of blacks in that state?
11: Well, I think the Republicans in this case argued, look, if you look at how the black voters are dispersed throughout the state, they're more spread out than you might find in other parts of the country where they might be more concentrated. And so one of the things that the challengers pointed out here is to say, look, when you're drawing a map, one of the things you require is compactness. And if you can't have a compact population, Um, you're starting to draw districts on the basis of race, and that's an improper racial gerrymander. So it's really a battle of expert testimony to try to figure out um, how much is too much when focusing on attention to race and and drawing compact districts.
9: So what's your take on what should be done with this map?
11: I think it's tough. I think both this map and the Alabama map point to some very hard questions. In both cases, the black population has risen significantly, and yet additional congressional districts have not been created to give them opportunities. Whereas on the flip side, um, there's pretty persuasive evidence that When computer simulations are drawn and you input a bunch of neutral criteria in and they simulate 10,000 maps, there are zero maps that give you two majority black districts. So that suggests then that there's a little bit of a thumb on the scale with a race-conscious decision. So underlying the Voting Rights Act is this question about trying to make sure that we have opportunities for black voters. And the question is how much we can focus on race in cases like these.
9: Have the court's conservatives generally been hostile to voting rights plaintiffs and to the Voting Rights Act? And so is this order and taking the Alabama case another indication that it's open to weakening the role race may play in drawing voting districts?
11: Yeah, it's sometimes hard with these shadow docket cases when the court says, let's not change the rules too close in time to the election. So that's not a merits question, that's just saying we wanna hold serve and keep things in place. But then there's no question that it's it's perhaps peeking at the merits and some justices are much more persuaded than on the merits that there's too much focus on race in a couple of these maps, that courts have been too aggressive in trying to draw these districts for majority black voters, and that maybe a majority of the court is going to say we're going to trim back the Voting Rights Act a little bit in some ways that it's done in in a handful of cases over the last decade.
1: And that's Derek Muller, a professor at Iowa Law School, speaking with the Bloomberg student Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast or downloading the show at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at BloombergLaw.com and on the Bloomberg Terminal at B-Law Go. And again, futures this morning are falling. S&P futures down 52 points. Dow futures down 330. And NASDAQ futures are down 201. Ten-year Treasury up 10.30 seconds. The yield 3.05 percent. And the yield on the two-year, 2.99 percent. NYMEX crude oil is down about two-tenths percent or 18 cents at $109.62 a barrel. And still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. This is Bloomberg.